This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. <clears throat> we want to continue our studies in the book of Job today. We're going to start with Job chapter 3 today. Job is an example of a faithful and wonderful man of God. But he was human, just like we are. He had the same problems that we all face, though we may not have as many problems as he did. In chapter 3, Job breaks the silence. Job is alone in his suffering. His three friends came to encourage him and to help him, but they didn't help him. And we're going to see that he thought God had forsaken him as well. Job 3 can be divided into three sections. The first section is Job's curse, Job chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The second section is Job's questions, Job 3, 11 through 19. And then the third section is the mystery of suffering, Job 3, verses 20 to 26. So let's start looking here at Job's curse. He breaks the silence in verses 1 and 2. It says, After this Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. And Job said. The first thing we see, or I want to understand, silence has been going on now for seven days. In Job chapter 2, verse 13, talking about Job's friends there. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was great. You think about it. Job had lost everything in his life except his life. He lost his wealth. He lost all of his family but his wife. And he lost his health. Now, he knew that he had not sinned to deserve what happened to him. Now, we know what's, why things are happening to him. It's because of the devil. But Job doesn't know that. All he knows is he has nothing in life. And he's going to find out he doesn't even have real friends. Job's thinking is that God had forsaken him and that nowhere could he turn for help. You see, this is the moment Satan's been waiting for. Would Job finally do what Satan wanted him to do? Put forth now thine hand, chapter 2, verse 5. Touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. This is the moment that Job has been waiting for. Would Job finally now curse God? 
and Satan win the battle. Wayne Jackson wrote a book. It's called The Book of Job. And on page 27 of that book, he wrote this, and I quote, To curse his day, for example, the day he was born, meant that he despised it, he held it in contempt. In effect, he wished that he had never been born, unquote. And that's what it says there in chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day day. He didn't curse God. He cursed the day he was born. All right, well, Job curses the day he was born, but then we will see in verses 3 down through 10 that he does not curse God. Job counts the day of his birth as the beginning of his troubles. Chapter 3, verse 3. Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived. God had created the day and the night, so he's thinking, why can't God just eliminate the day of Job's birth from the record, and therefore Job's suffering would not exist. You know, there in verse 4 of Job chapter 3, he says, let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above. Neither let the light shine upon it. Again, Wayne Jackson's book, the book of Job, page 28 now, he said or wrote, and I quote, he wishes that his eyes had never seen daylight, unquote. Now, we'll notice there also, it says, let that day be darkness. The word darkness here is translated from a Hebrew word, koshek, and Strong's definition of that word is the dark. Hence, literally, darkness, figuratively, misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, wickedness. So Job wishes that day that he was born had never seen daylight. It was a dark day. It was a day filled with misery, destruction, and death. And if there was no light, then Job's problems could not be seen. Verse 5. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. Now, Adam Clark in his commentary on Esword made this comment, and I'll quote him at this time. Let this day be pursued, overtaken, and destroyed. Let natural darkness and the total privation of the solar light rendered still more intense by death's shadow projected over it seize on and destroy this day, the day that he was born. <laughs> and then in verse 6, 
Job desires that the day of his birth be removed from the calendar. Job 3, verse 6. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined unto the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. So again, quoting Adam Clark on Esword, Everything here is personified. Day, night, darkness, shadow of death, cloud, etc. And the same idea of the total extinction of that part of time, or it's being rendered ominous and portentous, unquote. The word portentous here, and this is the definition given by the Oxford American College Dictionary, and this is of the word portent. Quote, sign or warning that something, especially something momentous or calamitous, is likely to happen, unquote. So Job there in verse 6, just remove Remove that day from the calendar because something horrible is going to happen. Well, Job sees no cause for joy in the night of his birth. Chapter 3, verse 7. Lo, let that night be solitary. The American Standard Version renders the word sol uh, translated solitary here as barren. Let no joyful noise come therein. The word solitary there, translated from the Hebrew word galmud, Strong's defines that as sterile, as wrapped up too hard, figuratively desolate. Let that day be desolate, he is saying there in verse 7. Let no joyful voice come forth. You know, a child is born. No, let no joyful voice come forth. Again, quoting Adam Clark. Let them curse my birthday who hate daylight. Oh, excuse me, that's, that's going to be verse 7. Verse 8. Let me go back up here. Job wants them that curse the daylight to curse the day he was born. Now let's look at verse 8. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up their mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Uh, the American Standard renders that word as rouse up the Leviathan. Well, let's first look at that part that says, let them curse it that curse the day, as I started to quote Alan, uh, Adam Clark a while ago, and I quote, let them curse my birthday who hate daylight, such as adulterers, murderers, thieves, and bandits, for whose practices the night is more convenient. And let them curse it who like being like me, weary of life, are desperate enough to provoke the Leviathan to tear them to pieces. The word translated here, the Hebrew word translated mourning here in the King James Version is the Hebrew word Leviathan. 
And Brown Driver Briggs defines that word in this way. Leviathan, sea monster, dragon, large aquatic animal, perhaps the extinct dinosaur Pleosaurus. Exact meaning unknown. Well, we do know some things about the Leviathan from reading in the scriptures. The Leviathan is a real water-dwelling dinosaur. We find him mentioned, or it mentioned over in Job 41, verse 1. It says, Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook, or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? You know, we're going to be studying Job 41 later on, Lord willing, in this series of lessons. But this animal is described as a fire-breathing dinosaur. Verse 21 of chapter 41, His breath kindleth close, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. We know that he is a water-dwelling animal from some things that we find in the Psalms. Let's go to Psalm 74, verse 14. Psalm 74, verse 14. Thou breakest the heads. We'll back up to verse 13 because we see a little Hebrew poetry here. Something explained in the second verse that comes from the first. Verse 13 says, Thou of God... Didst divide the sea by thy strength, and thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces, and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. So there we have Leviathan mentioned there, and Hebrew parallelism, the heads of the dragons in the waters. Now also look at Psalm 104. Verse 26, Psalm 104, verse 26. Again, beginning in verse 25 to get a little more of the context and to show that this is a water-dwelling beast. Psalm 104, 25 says, So so is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both great, a small and great beast, there go the ships. There is that Leviathan <clears throat> whom thou hast made to play therein. So God created Leviathan, and it, according to the psalmist, plays in the seas where the ships go. So whenever this psalm was written, the Leviathan, this water-dwelling dinosaur, was still around. You think about if this was the time of David, that would have been around 1,000 B.C. So there may still be some out there. Don't let people try to fool you in saying the dinosaurs uh, became extinct 70 billion years ago. No man has lived with dinosaurs. We know that from Exodus 20, 11. Exodus chapter 20 verse 11. 
that verse says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So man and dinosaur have lived together since the creation. Now I want to look at one other passage concerning the Leviathan, and that is in Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1. It says, In that day the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent. Even Leviathan, that crooked servant, he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. So here we have this water-dwelling dinosaur mentioned in Isaiah, which was 700 or so years, about 750 years before Christ. So dinosaurs and man have lived together, and as I mentioned, they may still be living together whenever you look at uh, things that have been found. But that is another lesson for another time. Well, going back to Job now, Job feels in verse 9 of chapter 3, he feels the stars should not have shined on the day of his birth. Job chapter 3, verse 9. Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light, but have none. Excuse me. Neither let it see the dawning of the day. Uh, Albert Barnes, in his commentary on the book of Job, and this again is in the uh, E-Sword, on the phrase, let it look for light, but have none, he says, and I quote, personifying the night and representing it as looking out anxiously for some ray of light. This is a beautiful poetic image, the image of night, dark and gloomy and sad, anxiously looking out for a single beam or a star to break in upon its darkness and diminish its gloom. So don't even let the stars shine on the night that I was born. Well, after going through that, Job now laments the fact that his mother's womb was not shut up on the night of his birth, chapter 3, verse 10. He says, because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. Again, quoting Albert Barnes. Throughout the description, the day and night are personified and are spoken of as active as introducing him into the world. Here he curses them because they did not wholly prevent his birth. Unquote. Wayne Jackson on page 29 of his work, The Book of Job, stated this, and I quote him, It is clear that Job was hurt, angry, and perplexed. He just does not know why all of this has befallen him, unquote. 
You know, Jeremiah had about the same disposition that Job has at this point in a certain point in his life. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 20 and look at verses 14 through 18. Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 14 through 18. Jeremiah there says, Cursed be the day wherein I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bear me be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born unto thee, making him very glad. And let that man be as the cities which the Lord overthrew and repented not. And let, let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noontide. Because he slew me not from the womb, or that my mother might have been my grave, and her womb to be always great with me. Wherefore came I forth out of the womb, to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame. Jeremiah was facing some very tough times as well whenever he made that statement, just as Job is facing great calamity here as he is lamenting this fact that his mother's womb was not closed up. Now, in the second section that we're talking about, let's go now to uh, Job's questions. These are found in Job 3, verses 11 to 19. The first thing that Job questions is, why was he born? Why was he born? Verses 11 and 12 of Job 3. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me or why the breast that I should suck? Uh, the word prevent there, the American Standard uses the word receive. So, since the day of his birth couldn't be blotted out, he understood that. Then he wondered, why did he not die at birth? Uh, quoting Albert Barnes, talking about here the knees that receive, he says this, quote, That is the lap of the nurse or of the mother, probably the latter. The sense is, that if he had not been delicately and tenderly nursed, he would have died at once. He came helpless into the world, and but for the attention of others, he would have soon died, unquote. And Job just doesn't understand. If I'm going to have to suffer so much now, why didn't I die when I was born? Well, Job's thought is that if he had died at birth, he wouldn't have any of these problems. And this is Job 3, 13. <clears throat> he says, For now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. Then had I been at rest. I would have been at rest. <clears throat> Roy Wright in the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectureship book, 
in his lecture on this chapter, made this quote. If Job had been dead, he not only would not have the troubles of this life, but he would also not have any of the blessings of this life. He would never have known the joy of those children he once had. He would not have known of any of the blessings God had given him, unquote. So it gives us something to think about here. If we had died at birth, we wouldn't have had to go through the troubles, but we wouldn't have gone through the blessings of this life either. Whenever we go through the troubles of this life, think about the blessings. You know that song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. We need to make sure that whenever we're struggling in this life, Go back and think about what Job struggled through. Think about what Jesus struggled through. And look at the blessings of this life. Well, in verse 14 of Job chapter 3, Job thinks if he had died at birth, he would have shared the fate of kings and counselors. Verse 14. With kings and counselors of the earth which build desolate places for themselves. All right, they build, well, Albert Barnes said this first of all, and I'll quote him Death is repulsive, but Job takes comfort in the thought that he would have been associated with the most exalted and honorable among people. Unquote. They built these desolate places for themselves. This refers to the house of the ruined, like mausoleums and monuments and pyramids. You know, they wanted to keep their name alive while their bodies are rotting in the grave. And Job said, I would have been with them. Well, Job also mentions princes in death in verse 15. Or with princes that had gold who filled their houses with silver. Uh, whenever I was going to Brown Trail, Dave Miller is the one who taught the class on Job. And this is a quote that I took in my class notes from him. The pharaohs filled their tombs with gold and silver to take to the afterlife, but they could not, unquote. They fill their houses with gold and silver, but they leave it behind. They can't take it with them. Well, since he didn't die in the womb, now Job wishes that he had been stillborn stillborn. Verse 15 or 16. Or as an hidden untimely birth I had not been as infants which never saw light. Job is talking about miscarriage. If only he had been miscarried at birth, stillborn. 
then he would not be going through all the suffering that he's having to endure at this point. Well, in verses 17 to 19, Job considers the blessing of death. Verses 17 to 19, he says, There, in death, the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary be at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. The small and greater there, and the servant is free from his master. You know, these may be free from the difficulties of physical life, what he's talking about in death, but it's not going to be peace for everyone, is it? Not at all. God, now God does make rest for those who obey him. A couple of places in the New Testament we want to look at. First one is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. It says there, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And then Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. Revelation chapter 14, <clears throat> Verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. <clears throat> so there is a rest for those who are obedient to God. But then you think about what he's saying here, verse 17, there in death the wicked cease from troubling. In other words, the wicked are not troubling others. But the wicked in their death are being troubled. We understand that from uh, the event that took place between the rich man and Lazarus. Then he also says the weary be at rest. Well, if they've been faithful to God, yes. The prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor or the taskmaster. Well, they may not hear that voice, but they may hear that voice that says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There's no rest there. Well, it says the servant is free from his master. Yes, in death he is. But which master did he serve on this earth. Again, going spiritually here, did he serve God or did he serve Satan? Well, again, quoting Roy Wright in the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectureship book, he says this, and I quote, Death and the plight of Job exhibit the vanity of earthly riches and glory. Someone has said, Earth's proudest triumphs end in, quote, here lies. Unquote there. It does not matter how much wealth is used in the preparation of the corpse. The result is the same. Unquote. So right there, you know, earth's proudest triumphs end in this. Here lies so-and-so. 
birth date, death date, with that dash in between. And the only thing that matters is that dash in between the birth and the death. Were they faithful to God or not? Now, in verses 20 to 26, we see the mystery of suffering. Job came to the conclusion that life is just suffering and sorrow, there in verse 20. He says, Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, and life unto the bitter in soul? You know, Job is, just, is asking this question, Why is a person granted life if he or she is only to have misery and bitterness coming their way, why would this person even be born? Well, who do you think Job's referring to? He's referring to himself. I am going through so much agony, mourning over the loss of wealth more so over the loss of his children and then the loss of his health, his wife telling him to curse God and die. Why was I granted life, he is asking. Being more specific, Job is asking that since he was not born dead, why is he allowed to live such a horrible existence that he is experiencing. Again, quoting Roy Wright, his suffering was not what he should or would have chosen, but it has helped the faithful overcome Satan since that day, unquote. <laughs> because we, whenever we're going through the trials and struggles of this life, Again, instead of blaming God, blame Satan. He's the one that's behind it. You know, God does chastise us whenever we're wrong, but when we're wrong, why are we wrong? It's because we do Satan's bidding. Satan's behind it. And then you think about what is stated over in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So you think about that patience, that endurance that we have, and then comfort of the scriptures. You know, we can look, we know what happens in the book of Job. We know that in the end, Job is blessed. He lives that long life. God is compassionate. Job had to endure all these things. You know, going back again over to the book of James chapter 5, verse 11, Behold, we count them blessed or happy which endure, you have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful. The word also means compassionate and of tender mercy. 
Job had to endure all those things, and we can look back and see what Job endured and know that we can endure anything that comes our way because we have the hope of eternal life. And we will have that if we're obedient to God. Well, in verses 21 and 22 of Job 3, Job longs for death. Verses 21 and 22. He says, Which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hid treasures, which rejoice exceedingly, and are glad when they can find the grave. Job longed for death more than someone who is digging for a great treasure. Job there, he would rejoice finally to die. But death would not come. He wanted to die, but death would not come. And his suffering would continue. Quoting Albert Barnes again from Esort, he said this, What an expression! How strikingly does it express the intense desire to die and the depth of a man's sorrow when it becomes a matter of exultation for him to be permitted to lie down in corruption and decay of the womb, unquote. You know what people today would do? They would tell Job, oh, go take a shot and die. Euthanasia. Oh, they're suffering so greatly, let's put them out of their misery. Job didn't do that. He wasn't going to commit an ungodly act of sin of murder. That's what euthanasia is. It is murder. Job would not allow that to happen. You think about Jonah just for a moment. Go over to the book of Jonah there in chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. And look at what Jonah said here. Whenever he finally said down in verse 9, I am a Hebrew, I fear the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then, verse 11, said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Right there, Job would not commit suicide. He would have others throw him into the sea. Well, they didn't want to do that. Verse 13, Nevertheless the men rode hard to bring it to the land. But they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. 
Lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from a raging. Well, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. But anyway, in these two instances, Job nor Jonah would commit suicide. Euthanasia, they wouldn't allow that either. You know, they thought Jonah would die when he was thrown into the sea, but they asked God to forgive him about that because God's the one behind it. But he still, he survived, didn't he? Those who give the shots or whatever it may be for euthanasia, that's nothing but murder. Oh, they're suffering. They would have put Job out of his misery. Well, that would have been murder of Job. But anyway, in verse 23, Job dwells on his sad condition. Verse 23. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid, and whom God hath hedged in? Job is complaining that he is groping in the darkness. He doesn't understand that uh, his way is hid. And surrounded by misery, hedged in by God. Wayne Jackson made this statement in the book of Job, his work, page 31, quote, Earlier, Satan had charged that the man from us served God selfishly because the Lord had made a hedge of blessings about him. Now with the same term, Job complains that God has hedged him in with suffering. This is the first indication that the patriarch now blames God for his anguish, unquote. Job thinks God is the cause of this. And you know, you back up there to early part, or the latter part there of, or anyway, chapter one in the middle here. You know, whenever he asked Satan about Job there, verses nine and 10, Satan answered the Lord and said to Job, fear God for not hast not thou made a hedge about him. So Satan says, you've hedged him in with blessings. Job says, God has hedged me in with suffering. Job doesn't understand. Job's sighing comes earlier and more often than his food. And that's what he says there in verse 24. For my sighing cometh before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters. John Gill in his commentary, again on Esword, made this quote. <clears throat> Before he sat down to eat or had tasted his food, there were nothing but sighing and sobbing, so that he had no appetite for his food and could, only, and could take no delight in it. And while he was eating, his tears mingled with it, so that these were his meat and his drink continually. 
Can you imagine? Roarings poured out like the waters. His cries of anguish. The tears that came with him. Well, when Job was prosperous, the thought had come to him that this might not last. Verse 25 of Job 3. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Job thought about, you know, his, his sighing and his groaning came because what he had feared would happen to him happened. He said he had feared that something like this could happen, and now it has. It's come upon me. I'm experiencing that. Job's worst fears had been realized. Verse 26. I was not in safety. The American Standard Version says, Job says, I'm not at ease. Neither had I rest. Neither was I quiet. Yet trouble came. The American Standard Version does say, put it this way, I am not at ease, neither am I quiet, neither have I rest, but trouble cometh. The writers of the Geneva Bible left translator notes, and this is the translator note that they left from the Geneva Bible there, and this is also in Esword. I quote, the fear of troubles that would ensue caused my prosperity to seem to me as nothing, and yet I am not exempted from trouble. Unquote. All of the, you know, I wasn't at ease, I'm not quiet, I don't have rest, and still trouble came. You see, Job uttered some things that he probably shouldn't have said. But you think about, he's human. He's human just like we are. He's suffering greatly. Now, he's made some accusations against God, but he hasn't turned away from God. The great debate between Job and his three friends is about to begin. And it begins there in chapter 4 when Eliphaz speaks in chapters 4 and 5. And Lord willing, we will get to that in the next lesson. But again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church Christ in Moody, Missouri. Our building is located on the corner there in Highway E in Moody, Missouri. And there's only one corner there, so it would be hard to miss us. We come together on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock for Bible class and 11 o'clock for worship services. We also meet at 6 o'clock Sunday evening for worship services and at 6 o'clock on Wednesday evening for Bible classes. We hope that if you're ever in the South Missouri area where we're at that you will come in to visit with us. 
And again, thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Wave Media by visiting us at BibleWaveMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.